0: welcome and we're in a study on the book of James and we're in chapter 3 right now. So if you would turn there, either open up either your Bible or your phone or whatever you use. Uh, Last week we started chapter 3 and all of chapter 3 is on the tongue and uh, we did a couple sharing exercises last week. If you weren't here, it was a lot of fun to mix it up and we got to talk and the point being watch and see how you do with your words this week. Right? We get in touch with some of that. And so the question this morning would be, so how did you do? As you think back over the week, how did you do with your words this week? Hopefully you did well. So let's pray and then we'll we'll take it a little bit farther this morning. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thanks for what it does, how we can go through it, what it highlights. We learn so much from it and about you. And the lessons never have a bottom. And so we come this morning, we know that... Uh, this passage has been gone over probably millions of times uh, around the world, and yet it's still fresh. It's still tangible for uh, our battle with our tongues, and so we seek you for wisdom this morning in your presence, and we ask this in your name, Amen. All right. All right. Well, let's let's start here. We're going to be we're going to look at verse five first. It says, "So also the tongue is a small member." Yet it boasts of great things, right? how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, here in the Northwest, we're kind of familiar with this idea, right? It's, it's not a new idea because uh, when we get to August, things get pretty dry, right? Kind of crackly, tenderly. Uh, some summers are worse than others. But uh, an old logger once told me, you know when you're in trouble if you look at the top of fir trees. And I said, why? He says, because if you look at the top of fir trees, if they start to bend, it means that their water content in the tree is below 15%. And that means that almost anything can combust and start it on fire. So when things get really dry around summer, I start looking at top of fir trees and checking out. Sure enough, you'll see that the tops tend to bend over. And I know that's when we're close to being uh, in a lot of trouble. but uh, it doesn't during that kind of season. It doesn't take a lot to get a fire going, right? I mean, just um, a cigarette, you know, a cigarette, um, an undoused campfire, uh, a spark from farming equipment, or a strike of lightning. It's all that's needed to start uh, a major conflagration, right? Just and it doesn't take it long for it to to blow up and get out of. Control and James is using this exact same picture to point out that our tongues act like those small sparks or flames. Once we get it started, it can quickly spiral out of control, and uh, with consequences we never really intended. Uh, Two illustrations to kind of illustrate this. Two years ago, uh, two years ago summer, I was up. I think I was at Cabela's. I don't remember where I really was, but I was. It was one of these gorgeous days, and I was in our old van and I was listening to the greatest hits of the Doobie Brothers, and I had the windows rolled down, I was cranking it out, and just rocking down the highway, right? And uh, having a great time tapping on the side of the car, and just. And all of a sudden, red taillights everywhere, rah, you know? And uh, I thought, what in the world? And I look up ahead, massive puffs of smoke, like, wow, what's going on? And then, of course, for the next hour and a half, you go nowhere, right? And you're just inching along, and... And, stuff. and when we actually got up to um, where the fire was uh, on one of the overheads there in I-5, uh, fire trucks, I mean like dozens of them and guys in the ditches and doing all kinds of stuff and uh, come to find out later that two guys had been driving down I-5 and lit flares and threw them out the car door windows, right? And those things, and one, it actually swept in the ditch went up over the side, jumped over the top of the freeway, went back down and burned up the other ditch. And I mean, it was a massive thing. I was like, wow. And, uh, you know, there's a difference, right, if there's a fire versus that fire's been deliberately set. uh, We call that arson, right? And uh, I don't think they ever caught the guys. In in the fire world, it's called arson. But in uh, our world, it's called slander and gossip, malice, Anger in the relational world, right? Those are things that start those kind of fast-moving fires. Uh, We're going to cover more on that, uh, on this just a little bit. Uh, Secondly, I remember an illustration regarding the power of our words from years ago. It was from another pastor, and it was so graphic when he told it that it stuck with me uh, today. And the story goes like this. There was a pastor in a town that had a church, and a lady in the church had become disgruntled with the pastor. Right, uh, not sure what the deal was, but she became disgruntled with him, and so she began to spread bad reports around town about him, and uh, uh, to speak ill of him. And in the midst of this, she became convicted by the the Holy Spirit of her sin, and actually came to the compa- pastor, confessed her sin, and asked the pastor to please forgive her. And and he told her that he would most certainly. Uh, fully forgive her, but he wanted to help her understand the damage that had been done. So he took her outside on a hill that was right behind the church, and uh, and he handed her a feather pillow. And she, she, the woman was deeply confused as to what a feather pillow had to do with forgiveness. And then the pastor took out a pocket knife and he sliced open the end of the pillow. And in the breeze, asked her to shake the pillow rapidly. Right? Well, of course she did. And you're right. Feathers get caught in the wind they're just flying all over the neighborhood. And um, then he asked the woman if she would go and collect all the feathers and put them back in the pillow, right? And the woman was shaken and distraught by the request, exclaiming, well, that would be impossible. The feathers were everywhere, right? They were scattered over a five-block area of the neighborhood. And the pastor quietly said, I have fully forgiven you but the damage and consequences of your words are like these feathers. They are still flying around our community and they're impossible to retract. What a powerful picture, huh? Next time, think before you shake your words, knowing they'll be impossible to retract. James points out that the tongue can, in, um, it doesn't necessarily have to, but can operate like the ignition point of that fire. He's obviously pointing out the negative side of it, and he says this, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and it's set on fire by hell. Now this is not necessarily the most flattering description for the tongue, right? This is pretty dark And obviously words can be used well, words can be used good, we all use them, Uh, but James is highlighting something here um, that he's uh, trying to get us to understand, Uh, and reading that you could be tempted to say that if that's true, we should never speak another word in our life, right, just to stay out of trouble, Um, which is kind of highly impractical, right, but again, I think there's context is highly important here. If you think about who James is and why he would say something like this, let me give you three things why I think he paints this picture. One, remember, he remembered uh, the, how the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews had treated and talked to Jesus. Remember that we read it in the Gospels? It's not a very flattering picture. He remembered their curses and taunts and threats and how that exploded into an inferno that put Jesus on the cross. And secondly, he had just been through a persecution and remembered how the Sanhedrin and the leaders had talked to the apostles and to him. He remembered Stephen's stoning, which followed right in the aftermath of that, and how that just fueled the fire that broke out into a rage and murderous threats led by Saul against the whole Christian community. And then I think maybe on a more personal level, he would also remember, I'm sure, because he was his brother, in a somewhat hauntingly and shameful way, how he used his own tongue to ridicule and taunt Jesus himself. You can imagine his self-reflection on that one probably took a toll. right? If you've been in that kind of spot, you know how that kind of works. So he accurately points out that our words can stain us. right? They affect relationships. They're never the same after that. It's like getting the stain on a really nice shirt. right? You ever have a nice shirt and you go eat, at a restaurant or something, and one little spot goes, right? And you're like, how did that, right? You were trying to be careful. And every time you go in the closet, you go, "Ah," I got to wear that doing yard work now because I can't, right? You can't wear it because it's stained. And, and kind of uh, that idea is we get stained and we, we don't feel like we can come clean. What's well, the same with the tongue? Former best friends no longer are. Marriages end because of what was said. Churches split because of contention. And we can even wreck ourselves with our own self-talk. Uh, I've watched many people dismantle themselves with their own talk about themselves and, and how they went about that. James goes on to expound that our tongues can set on fire the entire course of our life and that what and that what is the source of that fire is uh, behind the tongue. In other words, what what pushes that? What gets it to act that way? And James says it's set on fire by hell. Right? The Bible talks very uh, matter-of-factually that there's a real heaven and there's also a real hell. And the Bible warns that we are to avoid that hell at all costs. That, uh, that's why we come to Jesus. And if you have a question of why we would need Jesus, just watch your own tongue. It'll betray you. That's how why we need a Savior. James says the tongue is set on fire by hell. Uh, to help us understand this, let's go to Galatians 5. I want to take us through a mini quick survey. Not an extensive one, but a mini one. And we'll look at this just a little bit further. How is the tongue set on fire by hell? This is a passage uh, that I use in marriage counseling. Right? Uh, and I use it with couples to talk about how their language in in the home can either build or tear down, uh, can either bring life to the family or destroy the family, and that they will have to learn to be careful with their tongues towards each other in their marriage. Uh, and Paul says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. In other words. Paul's articulating for the believer there's two natures. There's the nature of the Spirit and what God has done by giving us eternal life in His Son and now being coached by the Holy Spirit versus the flesh, the the side of me that doesn't really want to cooperate with that side and just wants what I want when I want it and will do or say whatever it takes to get what I want. That does happen in marriage, right? says, For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So as Paul talks about this battle, he's articulating this this, this these this two natures, right? The, and the pulls of them. And he says that the pull of the flesh is always contrary to the pull of the Spirit. I, I don't think if you've tried to walk with the Lord any length of time, This is a a resounding secret to your surprise, right? We've all felt that kind of war going on inside of us. Um, And if you go on with this passage, um, it lists a whole bunch of sins. And we won't have time to go into it this morning, but just to kind of give you a preview and you can look at it. It lists a whole bunch of sins like immorality and witchcraft and adultery and and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a list in the middle and then there's a list at the end, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Right, And what you find is if you look at this list, uh, the, in the verses following verse 18, that in the middle is sandwiched between big, big, bad, terrible sins, and on the bottom, big, big, bad, terrible sins. Uh, what you have in the middle of that sandwich is a whole list of sins that are specifically the sins of the tongue. Right, And if you look through there, you'll see that. It, it, they're the sins of the tongue. What is God trying to tell us? What do I try to point out to couples as they're getting married? What I'm trying to point out to them is that the sins of the tongue are every bit as deadly as the big sins, top or bottom. That's why God put them in a sandwich, so to speak. Okay. What He's trying to tell them is that those sins of the tongue will wreck their marriage. If you sin that way, if you talk that way, obviously we don't do it here. Right? It's very rare that somebody would talk that way here. But where do we talk like that? We talk like that in our homes. And what God's trying to warn us is that kind of talk is toxic. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It corrupts. It stains. It wrecks the love relationship. And eventually it will blow it up. And there's, a, there's an added danger to this in that the correlation being if you sin with your tongue like that, then eventually you'll commit one of the big bigger sins on the list because it's like James says it's set on fire by hell and you can watch somebody start talking and go hey that's you're not thinking right and they just keep pursuing and pretty soon their life spirals out of control so in fact the, the sins of the tongue uh, as i said are precursors to these big sins and the, the sins of the are the launch pad for them. Now, you might be skeptical of that, and I, I could understand that, and that would make sense. But let me show you why that's true. Take a Go further in your Bible, and, and let's go to Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this, If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now that's the first four verses. And I just, I just want to point a couple of things out that we are to be a kingdom focused people. Right? Right? We have come into God's kingdom, God's building His kingdom. We're to operate as agents of His kingdom. Therefore, we are to have a kingdom mindset. And what follows with that is if you have a kingdom mindset, you'll have a kingdom language. And this passage also tells us something I think is very awesome and cool. Um, Right now, as you you sit here this morning, as you sit here this morning, you and I are hidden in Christ. Do you see that in there? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Who you are is not totally revealed yet. Who you will be has not been re, uh, exposed. But our life is hidden in Christ. Uh, and that, this jumped out to me uh, last night, um, Micah, my new son-in-law who we have a great time with he was over we did a barbecue because all the women were gone so we thought well let's do a barbecue we barbecued some steak and you know suffering badly because Pam's gone we thought we'd choose some joy and uh, so we barbecued steak and it was really good then uh, Mike and I were watching the Mariners game together which was also really good and um, and he turned and he asked me he said what do you think of the shootings in Texas you know the, you just read in the papers again 10 students I was reading how one of the students uh was uh, fully invested in his church, had been baptized, was walking with the Lord, and he's in the presence of Jesus today. And at the moment when Micah asked me, I didn't have a very thoughtful well-developed answer, but as I was going back over this passage, I realized something. Our great security is not because we're Americans. Our great security is not because uh, it's not found in self-defense or national defense. But rather, our great security is found in the fact that our lives are hidden in Christ. Have you thought about that? It's just so easy to wig out with anxiety in our world. You you don't have to think too far to go, you know, that could have been Glacier Peak. That could have been Jackson. That could have been, right? It could have been us. And we would be in a very different situation. Imagine where you would be at this morning if you were there in Texas, or Sandy Hook, or Atlanta, or right the different places, uh, picking up the pieces for the rest of your life. And I just, I just think as a church, we've we've got to come back to our life is hidden in Christ, and that's where our confidence and our security comes from. But back to the main point: if our minds are set on things above, then our language will reflect that. Or should, anyways. If we're focused on earthly things, then our language will reflect that. Uh, let me show you where Paul takes this then. Uh, look at verses 5 through 10. So this is the heavy of my part. So look at this then. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And here's the big list, right? Same pattern. Sexual immorality, which is, by the way, just so we get this straight. When the Bible says sexual immorality, because I find when we're talking... People don't know what that means anymore. What, if I say to them, what's sexual immorality? Ah. Uh, okay, two big pegs. You have fornication. Fornication is having sex before you're married. That is one of the big pegs that Scripture hangs it on for sexual immorality. The second big peg is adultery. Adultery is you're having sex with someone who is not your spouse. All right? And then off of those two pegs, all the other stuff hangs. All right? They're extensions off of that. And so sexual immorality, impurity, uh, passion, impurity would be what we'd call pornography and all uh, lust of the mind, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Evil desire, covetousness, wanting uh, someone's wife, wanting someone's stuff, wanting someone's house, right? And Paul sums this up, which is what? Idolatry. In other words, we are substituting something else for God, hoping that that something else will satisfy us. And it never does. But it says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you also once walked. He's talking about people who once didn't know God, now do know God. And said, so now uh, you also once walked in these when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. But look at what he lists. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Obscene talk from now. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. It's the same pattern that's found in Galatians. As a matter of fact, you can find this pattern over and over in uh, other places in the New Testament where God ties uh, our talk to what has to be transformed. As He works transformation in us, one of the things, one of the places it should show up, is on our tongue. Notice here He says also, we have to put them away. The idea is you can't stick them in your back pocket, walk around for a while, and pull it back out. Right? That was a hard lesson I had to learn. I didn't get that really very well. Um, That we have to put on the new, old, new self, and, and put off the old. So then let's go back with James because James comes back then uh, to this uh, tongue and he describes it. He says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed. You know, and if you think about it, we've tamed just about everything on this planet. There's a few exceptions, of course, right? But we've tamed horses, we've tamed cattle, uh, we've tamed dogs, we've, t- we've even tamed cats. That's an amazing thing, right? Um but he says almost every beast and bird a reptile sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is saying the one thing that's, that, to, that still totally eludes us and that is the ability to tame our tongues. Any of you wrestled with that? Right? You ever just said just... Stop! Right, uh, I, this has been a major battle of my life. If you think I have a corner on this, you're sadly mistaken. Okay, the, you know the whoa, past? Uh, uh-uh, not so much. Okay, my my mouth has has been my demise. Open mouth, insert foot. Right, uh, embarrassingly, shamefully, sinfully. Okay, I wish I could say I've done better. I've done well since 1988 when God really confronted me, but I have, sadly, a long way to go. And if you're with me, that's one of the reasons surrender is such a critical part of the Christian life that you have to come under God's authority because that's when His coaching can actually help us. And I'm trying to do that. I hope you are as well. But James says here that uh, he calls the tongue restless. And the idea there is it's not at peace. It's not content. It's easily stirred up. Have you ever had your emotions easily stirred up? How long does it take to kick you into gear? If somebody says something. Right? Just bam! Boah! Okay, and where's the first place it shows up? Right? We let people have it. Razor blades, knives, ginsu, chop suey. I take you out, right? Just level. James actually here, uh, uh, he's talking about, and I'm sure we can all identify, he talks about it being restless, like uh, how it stirs things up. And he uses the image of a viper. I use viper because viper's somehow cooler than snake, right? Viper sounds like, ooh, cool car or something. Snake sounds icky. And Pam would run from the room. Well, she's not here this morning, so we can say snake. All right, so snake. Now think about this. He says it's full of deadly poison. Uh, Do you ever watch those snake videos on YouTube? You know, where they attack. no, (laughs) No, right? But if you watch a snake and you watch them coil, it is an amazing thing because they can hit with lightning quickness. Right, And so there's there's these videos where you watch the snake and it's there and then there's this little mouse and then the snake calls it whap, right? Mouse never knew what hit it. And, and that's, James points out that our tongue functions just like that. A snake wants to strike its victim just like our tongues do. Right? When we let it out, most of the time we say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That's not really true. We totally meant to say that. I meant to fry you. I meant to send shish kebabs right through you, and I hope it worked. I hope you're bleeding on the floor right now because you were miserable gunky to me, and I'm going to let you have it. And we strike like a snake. Right? You ever been at home? Whap! Whoa! Walked in the door and never saw it hit you. Right? Poop. Right? We, we we do that, and it's not pretty. It's not kind. But it's not, that's not love at that point. That's not even like at that point. Okay? That's strike at that point. Whap! Right? And unload the poison, just like a snake does. Well, if this wasn't bad enough, James goes on to point this is a really encouraging message, right? Gosh, good night. Um, But if it isn't bad enough, James goes on to point out not just that, but then our, our duplicity. We have, uh, du- we're duplicitous with our tongue. Um, we literally have a tendency to talk, as the saying goes, out of both sides of our mouth. Um, James points out how wrong, uh, can we just call it sinful this morning? Uh, I was listening all week to uh, Robinson Cano's thing, right? And everybody said, oh, you know, he made a mistake, and I'm going, uh, I'm listening on the radio, I'm going, no, he sinned. Can we call it sin? No, we can't call it sin in our culture anymore. Well, it's sin. And so, this is sinful. And uh, James says this. He's talking about the tongue here. He says, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, like we did this morning. By the way, good singing this morning. That was really, I was listening. It was washing over. That was good. And he says, Then with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is obviously using illustrations that said, look, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? Think of a spring. If you, we, Many of us hike in the Northwest, and when you go, you can find springs in the mountain, and there's really good water. Imagine if you went, found water, filled your canister up, took a big swig, and it was salt water. Whoa! whoa! Would that be awful or what? You certainly didn't expect that. Isn't that sometimes when you walk into a, a conversation, you weren't expecting salt water? You were expecting f- fresh water, and you got salt water and said, anybody ever pour salt on you? Right? It's called literally what? Pouring salt on a wound? You ever pour salt on a wound? It bites. Right? You ever have a paper cut and then cook it? Whoa! Right? That's what James is pointing out here. So he's, he's trying to say that we should be careful with our words, both towards God and man, that we shouldn't be duplicitous is what the argument is. That we shouldn't be able to curse out of one side of our mouth and bless out of the other side all at the same time. And he says, if you think there's a person who's worthy of being cursed, just remember that that person was made in God's image too. God loves a lot of people that you and I wouldn't. You ever you ever thought about who God loves? You didn't believe the audaciousness of Him allowing those people in heaven? It's like you got to be kidding me. They'd be off my list, right? They're on his list. And he's the keeper of them, not us. And James is saying, be really careful. So let's look at two of these and we'll wrap up this morning. Just We should be careful with our words towards God. This is in Ecclesiastes, uh, and it says this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And by guarding your steps there, he's talking about guard your mouth. You'll see this in a second. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Uh, They just come in, start talking, blabbering. They don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. It says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. And what uh, Solomon is saying, and I think Solomon probably learned some things through the course of his life, because Solomon was a man of many words, says when we come to God, we should remember who it is we're coming to. There's a lot of truth that a a fool's voice with many words can create a lot of chaos and a a wrong tone. And what's wrong with it? Well, just some simple things. It's not a tone of thankfulness. It's not a tone of gratefulness. Usually, rather, it's one of gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. Or... You owe. You ever gone to God and said, you owe me? I've done a darn good job for you this week. I'm a pretty good son. I think you owe me. I'm pretty spectacular. You ever come to God in prayer like that? Can you imagine how that looks from God's side? Yikes! (laughs) Right? Uh, I I think it looks... if If you can't figure out what that looks like. That sounds just like a dad when your kids come to you and say, gimme, 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 right? We react the same way. We don't react, right? Whatever. Okay. If they come with gratefulness, if they come with thankfulness, it's very easy to respond to them. It would be wise to think before we pray and not be rash or hasty. And then uh, towards those we talk to down here, Peter gives us some good advice. And by the way, I just picked two. There's advice like this all through the Bible. I just picked these two this morning. He says this, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. So if you want to see good days, Peter says, If, if that's your goal, you want to see good days, well, how would you do that? He says, Let him keep his tongue from evil. Don't lie to people. Don't go after people. How many times have you heard someone tell you, Don't burn your bridges? Those of you in the professional fields, how many times have you had somebody shaft you at work, taking what was, should have been yours or stolen something from you or you got bounced out by crooked means. And what did they always tell you? Don't burn your bridges. Why? Because you never know when that's going to come back around you might need that bridge. Right? It's just wisdom. Peter's saying the same thing here. It says, uh, Keep your tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And when we sin with our tongues, we're doing evil. That's what it says. Part of being a Christian, actually a big part of it, a huge part of it, is bringing our tongue under the control and authority of the Lord Jesus and the coaching of the Holy Spirit. And that becomes a booger because when you try to line your tongue up, then you start to realize, oh, not only is my tongue out of line, my heart's out of line. Right? Right? The tongue's a symptom. It just simply reveals what's in there. And then you go, ah, oh, how do I clean that pit up? And that's when you have to go to the Lord and say, I need, I need your help. I'm in trouble. I can't clean it up. Myself. By the way, deceit, where it says here, uh, keep his lips from speaking deceit, that's lying. Right? That's lying. God, Why should we not lie? My friend Randy Penny taught this to his kids, and uh, I've stolen it ever since. He, he looked at his children and said, kids, why should we not lie? And they kind of looked down like, you know, because it's bad, because it's awful. it's a comm-. And Randy said to him, no, we shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. And I went, you know, that's a really profound, simple truth that you can take home, put in your hip pocket and take with you. We shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. By the way, lying to others, but also, you ever lied to yourself? Right? Shouldn't do that either. So to turn away from evil is not just stopping doing bad things, but to keep our mouth from speaking bad things. So when the Holy Spirit tells us, don't, then don't. Just let it, 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 it'll pass. You don't have to say it. It'll come back around another way. You'll be able to either say it better, or it'll never have to be spoken in the first place. What's this all about? I want to suggest to you that this is about violence. Okay? This is about war. You're going, what? You're talking about the tongue. I'm going, yeah, this is about violence and this is about war. It's about having a mouth of peace instead of a mouth of contention. Do we live in a culture of contention right now or what? It's always been this way. Have you ever read the early politics of America when it got started and read any of the pamphlets they produced against each other? Horrific slander. Horrific attacks. This has been going on since we've been a nation. I have news for you. This has been going on since we've been a planet. Since we've been people. To have a mouth of peace instead of a mouth of contention. To have a mouth of truth instead of a mouth of lies. Well, we're going to go farther with James, but may the Lord help us with this truth this morning. And uh, what I would say is probably conviction points are different for all of us this morning. There's probably a different emphasis on the syllable for all of us, depending on where we are in that. Some of us are very uh, extrovert. Some of us are very introvert. It doesn't mean we don't have a problem with it. It just means we express it differently. And God might be tapping on one, one way and another. Some of you this morning, he might be saying, good job. Good job. You've been tracking it. Good job. And you might feel that this morning. Others, he might be saying, okay, let's go. This is the third time through when we're going to start listening. right? So whatever context that works for you, that would be good. But the idea here is, may we be wholesome, a wholesome, sweet, talking fellowship of believers. Not fakey, not goody choos shoes. But I've started to learn wholesomeness is the same word we'd use for holy. What did we sing this morning? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. You can mock wholesomeness as goody-two-shoes, but the reality is we all know when we see it. We go, that's a good person. Right? It has to do with our talk. That we would be a wholesome, sweet-talking fellowship of believers who honor the Lord in the way that we speak to each other and to Him. That sounds simple until you try and do it. Let's try hard. Let's cooperate. Let's be with them. All right. Let's pray. Father, we use words to talk to You. This morning, now. I'm speaking verbally. A number of my friends are speaking silently. This message probably has highlighted something for all of us. Some point that there's a point of acknowledgement. A point of awareness. Something that you've identified for us that we're clicking on right now. And Lord, uh, what I would pray for is a spirit of cooperation this week. Help me. I know what you teach. You test. And so I I need to be careful. But I ask that in the testing, we might know that and respond well this week. And and begin, uh, continue and begin to take this further with you uh, by the lead of your spirit. And we ask for mercy in that in Your name. Amen.